0: Well, I must say uh, we owe a real debt of gratitude and a vote of thanks to the Tricky family. What a blessing they are. Mrs. Tricky has been playing the piano for us all of these weeks uh, for our services, uh, live stream. And then now uh, our other pianists have not been able to be here. And so we really appreciate that. And of course, Brother Tricky as well, leading the singing and helping us with the live stream every day. And the amount of work that he's put into that. Uh, setting that up, learning the systems, uh, setting up equipment—it's <laughs> amazing—and uh, and then he has to put up with me, who doesn't know anything about it, and who criticizes what he doesn't do right. And uh, so, I appreciate them so much. And then the then the children sang for us this morning. If you weren't here, they sang uh, both services this morning, and we appreciate that. So so thankful for them. So thankful for Brother Phil, who's back there up top, uh, looking over you, uh, looking down on you. That, He means, I mean that in a good sense now, he's not, uh, but uh, he uh, has helped us do all of this work and uh, set up these TVs and all these other things. It's such a blessing, and we're thankful for the ones who've generously given so that we could do that. We've had some generous gifts given to do that and make it possible. We're so thankful for all of that, and we still need to sing tonight. Don't you just love old people? This morning, as Brother Nor and his family walked out, I said to his children, Sullivan and Ruby, I said, hey, make me a promise. When you get home, tell your mother. I said, hi. And Sullivan nodded. And then I said, and Sully too. And I was Sully. He didn't acknowledge anything. They just went out the door, but I immediately, rec- I immediately recognized what I did. So I, I texted mom and I said, Please apologize to me for Sully, because I don't want him to think his pastor doesn't know who he was. I meant to say Anderson, his his brother. Anyway, she said as soon as he got home, the first thing he said to me was, Pastor says hi, and he didn't even mention the other. So that's good. But then I realized as well that we had two birthdays to acknowledge this morning, and one anniversary. Then I learned about a second anniversary, and we didn't do it. We're used to doing it with the junior church program. We didn't have junior church program, so we didn't acknowledge them. So we're going to acknowledge them now just in case they happen to be watching. Uh, Stephen and Rebecca Roswell uh, celebrated today a wedding anniversary, as well as Marco and Lindsay Vandenberg. And Lindsay was here this morning on her anniversary Sunday, came to church, and, uh, and we didn't sing to her. I am ashamed and embarrassed, but we'll make up for it right now. And then, in case you didn't watch, we'll let her know. But uh, those two celebrating their anniversary, and then tomorrow, uh, let's see, who has a birthday? It is Josh Tabersio. Little Josh Tabercio has a birthday tomorrow, and then on Wednesday, Anderson Knorr has a birthday. So if you happen to be watching, Josh and Anderson, happy birthday and happy anniversary to the Roswells and Vandenberg. So let's sing happy birthday, and then we'll sing happy anniversary. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary. God bless you. Happy anniversary to you. And I'm kind of dreading. Tomorrow morning, because I'm sure Pastor Tricky's going to make me wear a silly hat and glasses again to celebrate birthdays. (laughs) All right, take your Bible, if you would, please, and go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Wow. Have I ever been challenged as of late about the Christian's role in the world? And what isn't isn't our responsibility and what isn't isn't our attitude and spirit to be and as i've said already i've been very challenged about my own reactions and attitudes and so forth <laughs> and and really this title for this message doesn't come from any scripture that i'm going to give you tonight and and the message i'm going to give you tonight is more or less just reading you scripture and making a few comments on it, challenging you to think about what the scripture said. And so I chose this title. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? (laughs) And the answer is, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep. Talking to you. So here we go. And in coming days, I'm going to be speaking or preaching more on what the world And our relationship to the world as believers in the world, but not of the world, what that's about and and trying to help you. But let's just consider a few scriptures tonight. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 to 4. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I've circled in my Bible that little word, all. Verse 2 For kings and for all that are in authority, I've circled the word all again, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all, and I've circled the word again. Who will have all men to be saved, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. I think I'll read a couple more verses. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. I've circled the word all again. Who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified In due time. And then Paul goes on to say, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. In other words, to testify of this man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself to be a ransom for all. So, who's the author of this letter? Humanly speaking, it's of course the Apostle Paul. If you go back to to chapter 1 and verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ which is our hope. Who's the audience? Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Timothy. Verse 2 of chapter 1, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the author is Paul. The audience is Timothy. However, if you've read Paul's letter, as a matter of fact, he wrote two letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, to this young man. He says to Timothy, the things that I've taught you, things you've received from me, I want you to commit those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so you and I understand that all Scripture is given to us to profit us, that the man of God or the child of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So while it's a personal letter written from from one preacher to another preacher, From one servant of Christ to another servant of Christ, there's application to you and to I. Go to verse number 18 of chapter 1. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So Paul is going to give a charge to Timothy. The word charge means I'm going to give you a mandate. I'm giving you a responsibility to fulfill. And he said, I'm giving it to you. I'm committing it to you. And the word commit here means basically to place alongside of. So I'm giving a responsibility to you personally uh, to do, and it's based on the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by by them mightest war a good warfare. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go into this statement, the prophecies which went before on thee, but... Timothy was ordained to the ministry through the hand of Paul, through the laying on of hands. And he received a ministry and was given the responsibility to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, I'm, I'm going to charge you in such a way that you would war a good warfare, that you'd be a good soldier, that you would do it legally, that you would do it in the bounds that's acceptable. In verse 19, he, he mentions this, holding faith. So as a soldier, you're warring a war. It's not a war against man. It's a spiritual warfare for the souls of men, holding faith and a good conscience. So whatever he's going to charge him to do has, has two aspects to it. It's, it's answering faith. It's being true to the faith and a good conscience. And then he mentions to Timothy, there are some that haven't done well at this, some having put away, that is, the good conscience, so what they did, seared their conscience, was not according to the inner witness of their heart, and therefore concerning faith they've made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And again, it's not my purpose to, to get into what all of that is about. Here's my purpose, is to say to you that Paul said, Timothy, look, you are given a responsibility to war a spiritual warfare, to be a good soldier of Christ. And I'm, I'm going to give you a charge. I'm going to lay upon you a responsibility that will that will influence your ability to be a good soldier. You need to hold faith. And, uh, and you need to uh, keep or maintain a good conscience. Those two things going hand in hand. If you, if you have a bad conscience, then you will likely not hold the faith. If you forsake the faith, then you will end up with a seared or, or poor conscience. So we come now to verse number one of chapter two, which we read just a moment ago. Here's the charge. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, That word first doesn't mean that you have a list, one, two, three, four, and the very first thing you do and check off the list is to do this. But the thing that's of of primary importance in everything I'm about to say, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Those four expressions all are ways of describing prayer, supplications, and intercessions, have to do with making a petition to God on the behalf of someone else. And then, of course, we understand thanksgiving or giving of thanks, and we understand prayer. Prayer, though we don't understand this word often in this fashion, prayer is worship. Prayer is actually showing God that He's worthy. It's giving Him worth. It's, it's taking time to separate from everything else and worshiping God. So prayer is all those things. It's worship. And in our worship, we have the privilege of interceding or asking petitions on behalf of others, as well as giving thanks to God for all of His blessings. But the point is, I exhort you to do this for all men. All men. You and I are pretty selective in particular at times in our ministry, who we have inclination to pray for who we have inclination to visit, who we have an inclination to serve, who we have an inclination uh, by our own heart to be involved with. And Paul said to Timothy, I'm exhorting you. I'm challenging you. I'm charging you as a good soldier. Do that for every man. And then he gives us a further um, expansion of this all men perhaps because we don't often think this way, for kings. Kings, that means a sovereign. That means somebody who has unquestionable rule for sovereigns, for kings, and for all that are in authority. All that have been given a position of responsibility or authority over men. We're to make were to make intercession for all that are in authority, and or, or for the purpose that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, obviously, we should pray for all men because all men need grace, right? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the Lord and the Scripture says that that the Lord. Uh, is uh, desirous that all should come to repentance. And so, obviously, we need to pray for all men on that basis. But specifically, Paul singles out kings and those that are in authority. Why? Because their lives impact and influence so many other lives. The salvation of a king, or a prime minister, or a president, or a politician... Uh, a mayor or a city official is not any more important than the salvation of the uh, fatherless child or the widow that lives down the street or the common person who lives across the street from you. It's, it's, there is no greater importance to one soul or another, but Paul is stressing the fact that there are people whose influence and whose decisions impact so many lives. And he said, I want you to stop and realize that it impacts your life. And your prayer for them ought to be because you desire to be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. Godliness refers to my responsibility to God. Honesty refers to my responsibility to men. You know that the security of our lives. The security of our liberty, the security of our property, humanly speaking, rests in the decisions made by those in authority. Now, we have the privilege of participating in the process of putting them in authority. But even if we didn't vote them into authority, if they're in authority, the decisions they make are going to impact whether or not we lead a quiet and peaceable life. So Paul says to Timothy... And God says to us, for all scriptures given for our benefit, our profit, that we should pray for them. So I'm asking you a simple question. It is very easy for me to criticize the leadership of the country, the leadership of the city, the leadership of the parliament, whatever authority may be in my life. But what would God want me to do? What does God want me to do? So I imagine somebody who's a Christian in 2020 hearing this and saying, are you talking to me? (laughs) You're talking to me. You mean I'm supposed to pray for? Yep, I'm talking to you. Pray for them. That's an exhortation. That's Paul's desire for Timothy. And he says, not only should you do it for a personal or what could be considered a self-interested reason, but verse 3... This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. It might not be good and acceptable in the sight of your neighbor who wants to rant and rave and tear down and and criticize and vilify those in authority or leadership, but it is good and acceptable in the sight of God. It may not be good and acceptable in the sight of the talk show host, the television personality, your neighbor, but it is good and acceptable in the sight of God. And I, I love how the Holy Spirit does this. Not just God, God our Savior. Where would you be without Him? This is what pleases Him, this is what He likes. Why? Because He would have all. There's that word all. So that's why we're supposed to, to pray for all men, make intercession for them, and give thanks and pray, uh, petition God. For God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know why we dislike politicians, leaders? Of course you do. And you could spend a while telling me about it. Because you've been listening to people and you've been thinking about it. But, but did you ever stop to think about what do you expect from somebody who doesn't know the truth? If somebody doesn't know the truth, then what does that mean? That means they're operating on the basis of a lie, a deception. They're walking in darkness. They don't have the benefit of light. You see it differently because you have the light. Now, I'm not saying that every time you see something differently, (laughs) that you are operating according to the light, because I can tell you this, many of us are not operating according to the light given us in this matter right here. That's why we would say, "Uh, are you talking to me? They don't know the truth. And by the way, where's the truth found? I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21, the truth is in Jesus Christ. And he said, by the way, I am the truth. But Ephesians 4, 21 says the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. That's the only source of truth. They need Christ. The reason that that Christ was rejected was because men love darkness rather than light. They're walking in darkness, and they could not see His goodness. They could not see the truth. And the reason rulers uh, do what they do and oppress the people is because they don't see the light. But you and I have plenty of scriptural evidence that God can change that situation. He did with kings in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Darius and Cyrus, right? God can influence them. God can open their eyes. They may not even be converted, but God can cause them to see what they would not see otherwise. God has the power to influence the hearts of those who are kings and in authority, and to thus in push them, if you please, or nudge them into a position of taking the right Direction and making the right decisions. God can do that. And again, it's that you and I might lead a quiet and peaceable life. All right, go to Titus chapter 3 now. So Paul writes this exhortation to Timothy. But there is another man who's called Paul's son in the faith. So Titus is authored again by Paul. First word in the, in the letter here is Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number four. To Titus, my own son, after the common faith. Notice verse five. For this cause left I thee in Crete. So they'd been together, but Paul leaves him in this place, and Paul moves on. And he said, The reason I left you there, watch now, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. That simply means the things that are lacking. You know, when when the shepherd when the psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything. The shepherd takes care of a sheep, he provides for a sheep. So he said, There are some things that aren't right here in Crete, and they need to be made right. They need to be set in order. They need to be made uh, conformable to the will of God. So I'm leaving you there and giving you that responsibility. And uh, he says in chapter 2 and verse 1 speak the things, it's become sound doctrine. So, part of setting things in order is to have sound doctrine. In other words, doctrine that stands up to the test. Doctrine that's real. Doctrine that comes from from God. That's solid. Go to verse 15. These things speak. So Paul says to Timothy, the things I'm telling you to do, to set in order, speak them and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Look down on you. In other words, don't, don't, HOLD BACK BECAUSE SOMEBODY DOESN'T APPRECIATE YOU OR BECAUSE SOMEBODY THINKS LITTLE OF YOU. THIS IS THE the TRUTH. THIS IS THE LAW OF GOD. LET NO MAN DESPISE THEE. AND THE VERY NEXT VERSE, REMEMBER WE PUT THE CHAPTER AND VERSE DIVISIONS IN THE SCRIPTURE, THE VERY NEXT WORDS, PUT THEM, AS YOU SPEAK WITH ALL AUTHORITY, PUT THEM IN MIND TO BE SUBJECT TO PRINCIPALITIES AND POWERS. He said to Timothy, I exhort you to pray, make intercession, lift them up before God. But he says to Titus, you need to put things in order. They're not right. And one of the things you need to set in order is tell them they need to be subject to principalities and powers. The words principalities and powers may come to your mind, and you might be thinking about the armor expressed in Ephesians chapter 6 that our warfare is against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world. But literally, principalities and powers refer, can be good or evil. A principality uh, is is a place where a prince has rule or legislates or governs. It usually refers to any kind of magistrate or civil ruler. Now, it can be evil but it can also be good and powers is simply authorities so those who are magistrates or rulers or authorities that's what we're referred to now if you'll hold your place there and just go back for a moment to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 1 Corinthians chapter 5 actually i believe it's 15 i think i forgot to put the one there 1 Corinthians 15 Yes, in verse 24. Speaking of the coming of Christ, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when? Here we go. Now watch this. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. The word rule there is the same word as principality. And authority and power is the same as the powers in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. So all I'm saying is, That principalities and powers refer to those given responsibility for government over us. And if we understand the Bible's teaching in Romans, there is no power that that exists that is not ordained of God. God ordained uh, governors and rulers for for the order of society and for our benefit to uh, carry out the just just laws uh, that would come from God. So what he's saying is, teach them, put them in mind, remind them, and I I have to be put in mind. I'll be honest with you. I have to be put in mind because I'm a sinner, because I have flesh, because I'm independent, because I want my way. We all want our way, and I have to be put in mind that I'm to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey in case you're not clear what it means, magistrates, and to be ready to every good work. That simply goes along with Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, which says, As you have therefore opportunity, do good unto all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith, We're to be ready to do good. But I'm burdened about this thing about rulers and responsibilities. And you know, when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we look at the life of the Lord Jesus, we look at the life of Daniel, we look at the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we look at the life of Joseph, we're looking at Peter, we're looking at the lives of a number of men who found themselves under unjust principalities and powers, wicked kings, unconverted kings, those who were over them, who had no fear of God or exercised no fear of God in their reign. And what did they do about that? Now, obviously, we're not privy to all their conversation. But in Scripture, God gives us no hint that they rebelled against it, no hint that they fought against it. They simply just lived a godly and peaceable life. So what I'm saying is that in the New Testament, I don't find any time or energy. And really, this really began to, to boil in me as I, as I was reading John over and over again. And we're still doing it in June. If you're doing what I suggested in the live stream in the morning, we read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Uh, we'll read it through six times in the month uh, or seven times actually in the month of June, uh, one chapter each day, and then go back over it again and again, and then the book of Acts. And I'm noticing both in the book of Acts, and what Jesus says to His disciples about their position in the world and the way the world's going to treat them, I'm noticing that there is no time or energy spent in Scripture calling upon believers to reform their pagan culture in which they lived, to try to change or, or, or reform idolatrous, immoral, and corrupt behavior. There is no call to exercise civil disobedience or to protest unjust laws or cruel punishments. And trust me, if you're reading your Bible thoughtfully, they are living in days when there were cruel punishments and unjust laws. But rather, the New Testament seems to suggest pretty clearly that what we're supposed to do is proclaim the gospel and then live a life that demonstrates the benefits of the gospel, the transformative power of the gospel, so that men's lives may be changed. Now, I'm sure you already know this instinctively, but I'm putting you in mind of it. I'm putting you back in your mind that the real change of laws will only come with a change of heart. Only when a man who who is in a position of rule or authority moves from the realm of not being able to see the truth and not knowing the truth to being able to see and know and understand the truth, why would you expect any change in the laws or in the government? So our job is to preach the gospel, which is life transformative, and to pray because we know that God answers prayer, and to live such a life that we are testifying to them of the transformative power of the gospel. We return good for evil. We bless those who curse us. And we do good to those who despitefully use us. And they will despitefully use us. And they will curse us. But what are we supposed to do? Well, I'm saying we're supposed to pray for them and we're supposed to Obey, be subject to them and obey and be ready to every good work. I'm going to hasten on verse two, speak evil of no man. Oh boy. I've had to kneel before God. I I really don't kneel anymore because my knees uh, being replaced. I just don't feel comfortable on my knees anymore. So I lay prone on the floor when I pray. I've had to lay prone on the floor. And confess to God. Because I've spoken evil many times of those who are magistrates, of those who are in authority. And the Bible doesn't mention them specifically, but it does say, speak evil of no man. You know that little word all and the word no, they're really kind of similar. All is inclusive and no is inclusive. No man (laughs) doesn't leave anybody out, right? You know what one of the gravest sins of God's people is? We speak evil of others. The idea here is we speak in such a way as to injure them. So what we're saying about them to our neighbor or to someone else is because we don't like them, and we, and we don't want them to like them. And what we're speaking of oftentimes is judging their motives. We're professing that we know why they did what they did, and we're professing that we know what they're up to rather than just thinking good or thinking the best. We acknowledge that what they're doing is wrong, but why can't we put the better spin on it, or why can't we just leave that to God, but we speak evil of them, and you might be saying, are you talking to me? (laughs) I had to say that, and the answer was clearly yes, I'm talking to you. Yeah, speak evil of no man. Hmm. There's a lot I wanted to say here and a lot I've written down. The idea is to vilify them. In other words, to make them out to be a villain. And Sometimes we color our words. You know, the other side, whatever your side you're on, on the other side, the other side speaks in such a way about you and those of your ilk in such a way that they want people to see you and they color you whatever way they want people to see you. But the truth of the matter is, on, that happens on both sides of the coin, both sides of the issue. So if the world is speaking evil of me, why am I surprised? They don't know the truth. They can't see the truth. They can't comprehend the truth. But I know the truth. And I know the truth is that God only knows the secrets of the heart of men, and that God will judge the secrets of the heart of men. And so I... Though because I don't like him, anybody who says anything that, that helps to fill out the picture that I've already formed of that person, that individual, then I pass it on and I, I continue to inflame it because I want to color them as all bad. Do you know that not all, that really most men are not all bad? There's some good that they do. <coughs> Those that are speaking evil of you as a Christian. <laughs> Is that all that's true about you, the evil things they say? No. No, you have some good in you, don't you? Don't you do some good things? Don't you have some good motives? Why is it so hard to imagine that they do as well? These are just my thoughts, but I, I am telling you the Scripture says, speak evil of no man. Be no brawlers. That means don't look for an argument. Don't look for some kind of quarrel. Don't try to stir up quarrels and arguments. Don't participate in that. Be no brawler. Now, that's also part of the responsibility that God gives as a requirement for a pastor. Mm. But gentle. Not a brawler. Not argumentative. But Gentle. Showing meekness unto, there's that word again. Showing meekness unto all men. Meekness, quietness, gentleness. Meekness is the characteristic of Christ, who, by the way, is our example. How did he respond to the governments, the rulers, the principalities, and the powers in his day? He said, come unto me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart. Didn't he? Well, let's close it by by noticing these last few verses. Verse 3, Paul said to Timothy, remind them of these things, encourage them, tell them to do these things, because, verse 3, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish... That means unwise. That means going our own way. That means walking in darkness. That means not fearing God. We were there where they are. We used to be like that ourselves. We were foolish, and because of that, we were disobedient and deceived. We were deceived by our enemy. We were deceived by our own heart. We were deceived by false teachers and by those who wanted to influence us for their and manipulate us for their gain. We were there serving Diverse lust. Diverse simply means various. Lust means desires and pleasures. We were serving. We were there. Lust has to do with your inner man. Pleasures has to do with the outer man, with the flesh. So with the soul and the body. We served our lust, the things we wanted, and the things that our flesh wanted. And that's what they're doing. Living in malice and envy hateful. That means not that you were a a hater, but that you were living in a way that's hateful and hating one another. Don't have time to develop that, but let's go to verse 4 because here's where it gets good. But that's where we were. We were like that. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. It was always there, but we didn't see it. But when God was pleased to show it to us, maybe because somebody was praying for us, maybe because someone was responding to our actions with love, with kindness, with meekness, we saw it. We saw in them, we saw from the truth, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, not by works of righteousness, which we had done, But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly what things. All the things that we're talking about here in this verse. Being subject to principalities and powers, obeying magistrates, ready to every good work, speaking evil of no man, not being a brawler, but gentle, showing meekness, and remembering the mercy shown to us. These things I will that thou affirm constantly, why, that they which have believed in God. Are you talking to me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're talking to me because I believe in God. Is he talking to you? Do you believe in God? These things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Well, are you talking to me? Mm Mm-hmm. Let me give you one quote, and I'm going to be done. Liberty, which is something we treasure, And the threat to our liberty is what often makes us speak evil of authority and rebel against the authorities. Liberty cannot be established without morality. And because they're not saved, because they don't know the grace of God, they're immoral. You can't have liberty without morality, nor can you have morality without faith. Men cannot will themselves to be moral. They need a transformation of heart. And when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're reborn, they're regenerated, they're washed, as the scripture says here, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, they're made new, and now they can be moral. And because they're moral, they can believe in and protect and promote liberty. Liberty will never come without morality, and morality can't come without faith. So what are we going to do to change the world and secure our liberty and, and to feel better about the world in which we live? Well, let's exercise faith. Let's war good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, because it's faith that transforms a man, and that transformed our leadership. I hope you're challenged about that. Go home and think about it. What has been my attitude? What is my behavior in response to the authorities, the powers that be? And, and literally, what am I doing? I mean, whatever my response is, what is that accomplishing? Evaluate it. What am I actually accomplishing in what I'm saying about the prime minister and what I'm saying about the uh, MPP, what I'm saying about the premier, what I'm saying about those, uh, the mayor and the city. what am I, What is my words and my actions, what is it actually accomplishing? And you know, if you're honest with yourself, it's making things worse. It's not making them better. But we know who can make it better, right? So let's start praying. Let's be faithful to pray. And let's be careful not to speak evil, but to maintain good works and be ready to every good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we've shared together tonight. Uh, Lord, you've exercised my heart over this, and I hope that's apparent. And Lord, I pray that your people would would be found with uh, receptive and pliable hearts. We live in a world that is always bombarding us with uh, philosophy and ideas, and and we, we have those who resonate with our flesh and who who we... We tend to agree with and they inflame our passions when it ought to be not the spirit of the world that's inflaming our passions, but the spirit of God, your eternal spirit that lives in us. Help me, Lord. Please help me and help your people that we might lead by example and might do the right thing in this matter of responding to the leadership that we have in our land. We love you. We thank you that all things are under your control. We thank you that you will set all things right. We're thankful that many times over and over again in Scripture, you've demonstrated your ability to protect and keep and bless your people in the midst of tyrannical government. Help us, Lord. we we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, again, thank you for being here tonight. My invitation to you is simply to respond in quietness to the Lord. If you want to do it right there where you sit and you want to remain there for a moment and pray and talk to the Lord, feel free to do that. Go home and uh, get before the Lord alone or tomorrow in your devotions, whatever, but, but uh, be honest with the Lord about this matter. Think about it. Ponder it. Pray about it. Let's be not hearers of the word, but doers also. And I covet your prayers that I'll learn to do that because I've developed some pretty strong habits in my life and been encouraged Many times from the pulpit to do those things. And uh, so I need your help uh, in prayer that I will do the right thing and be the right example and the right kind of leader. All right, well, let me remind you again about Formula for Hope. Uh, We want to encourage you to do something if you can. Uh, This is the last week. Their campaign's supposed to end by um, uh, next Sunday, Father's Day. And uh, you can give through the church or you can give by going online online. Formula for Hope, there's the information for you, and, uh, and uh, make a donation. Uh, I think their uh, last I read, it was uh, getting close to 25000 about half of what they had, had hoped for and what their goal was. They set a goal of 50000 and so you uh, pray about that opportunity to, to give and be involved. And let me also say that um, Wednesday night, you're welcome to come. Uh, we, we just always need to know now, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Nine o'clock service, 11 o'clock service, those are identical services. We need to know when you plan to come. I know that might be a little tedious to register or check in or whatever, but it helps us to conform to what the government has asked us to do uh, so that we don't have too many in the building at the same time. And for those that came to the, the morning services, um, consider your flexibility and being willing to change from one service to the other because I think it'd be good if if at least half of the folks that came to the 9 o'clock service came to the 11 o'clock and have the 11 o'clock went to the 9 o'clock so that everybody gets to see other members of the church family. You know, not forcing that, not to requiring that, but I just make, throw it out there as a z- suggestion. If you're flexible, uh, let us know about that. Brother Tricky, anything? Just if they want to give to the Atwell Center through the church with a check to make it out to the Atwell Center. Okay, yeah. all right. Did you get that? If you want to give uh, through a formula for hope, make the check out to uh, Atwell Center rather than to NTBC. Okay. Oh, and pray about Becky. Becky, Becky is still planning, uh, Lord willing, to go to um, Papua New Guinea in September now. So we want to support her and give to her, and we'll be uh, promoting that a little more as the days go by, but uh, pray about whether or not you can participate in that. I saw a wonderful picture today from John and Lena Allen, who really are responsible for the major uh, mission work there in Port Moresby, and they had a huge crowd. They were having a baptism Today It was beautiful. And uh, they said, this is the church family and a lot of visitors that came to witness it. And uh, so that was encouraging to see. I was going to try to get it and show it to you tonight. It was a blessing to see uh, that that was going on over there, but praise the Lord. So pray for Becky as she continues to, to, to try to fulfill that uh, goal of getting over there and helping out, being a part of the ministry. Anything else you need to mention? Anybody got something on your heart real quick you want to tell everybody about? Have we said goodbye to the live stream, Brother All right, those who are watching us by live stream, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. We'll be back uh, tomorrow morning live stream at 10 o'clock. So without being on live stream, anybody have anything to share? God's been working.